This year, 2020, was really shaped by the COVID-19 pandemic. And in the women's health realm, we have been especially concerned about what COVID means for pregnancy. On this episode of the Women's Health Cast, I talked to Dr. Igor Irorata-Gojena about COVID and pregnancy. Whether pregnant people are at higher risk of severe illness with COVID, if pregnant people are eligible for vaccination, and other things to think about if you're considering a pregnancy during a pandemic. Dr. Irorata Gojena is the Director of Maternal Fetal Medicine at UW Health. From the University of Wisconsin-Madison Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm Jackie Askins, and this is the Women's Health Cast. Today, I am joined by our Director of Maternal Fetal Medicine at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Dr. Igor Irorata Gojena. Thank you so much for sitting down with me to talk a little bit about COVID and pregnancy today. Thank you for the invitation. Happy to be here. I know um, earlier in 2020, kind of as the pandemic was getting started, we didn't know much about what COVID-19 would mean for pregnant people. Um, It's late December 2020 now, so there's been more time to study and learn. Um, And so I have some questions, I guess, about how COVID and pregnancy interact and what it means for um, people who are considering pregnancy. Uh, My first question is, are pregnant people at a higher risk of catching COVID? So I'll, uh, I'll start by saying that we've we've learned a lot, definitely, since March till now. And especially in pregnancy, which is uh, the part that um, people like me are most concerned. And what we've learned through data acquired in all parts of the world in different conditions and scenarios is that pregnant women are uh, at increased risk for severe disease, meaning to if they get infected, they will have a higher risk to end up needing ICU, so intensive care unit uh, care, um, needing to be ventilated. And all of those contribute to a slightly higher risk for death. But there's not much indication that they're at any higher risk of getting COVID than anyone else kind of moving through the world. They are not. They are, as best we can tell, they are not at higher risk of infection, but they fare worse if they get infected. I am curious, um, what happens if uh, a mom does have COVID during her pregnancy? Um, how might that affect like her prenatal care? And then what happens during delivery? So it really depends on symptoms. Uh, most women hopefully will have mild symptoms, meaning that they'll have body aches, they'll have sort of influenza-like symptoms, um, and they'll be uh, hopefully able to be home and isolate um, and be uh, fine. <clears throat> Sorry, after that, we would want them to uh we would want to monitor the growth of the baby for the rest of the pregnancy, but assuming that they had only mild symptoms they uh the the data supports that they would do uh pretty well without m- major impact to the pregnancy if they have moderate to severe symptoms and we're talking now about women that potentially may need to be hospitalized because of mostly respiratory symptoms. Um, it's a separate group, and we're more concerned about this group. Um, this group of pregnant women are at increased risk 
of the things that we talked at the beginning are increased risk of needing an ICU admission because of worsening respiratory status, needing ventilatory support, and potentially an increased risk of uh, uh, death. Um, there are also at increased risk, particularly when the infection is acute, of uh, thromboembolic events. So because of that, women who had had moderate to severe disease, especially in the third trimester, we looked at them in a somewhat different way in terms of monitoring. Uh, we, wanna, we, we don't have clear data that, that will guide us, but the best data that we have will tell us that we have to be uh, careful and monitor closely um, for things like thromboembolic disease and um, placental insufficiency in a way. So for those women, we would uh, do anticoagulation while they're acute. Um, we would do growth ultrasounds like any other woman that had COVID. Um, and we would do um, antenatal testing. Uh, and we would uh, recommend that they be delivered at 39 weeks. Again, there's no real data um, for most of these, but based on um, the cases that we've seen for women that have had moderate to severe disease, um, there appears to be um, an increased risk for um, placental insufficiency, I would say. Um, this is sort of uh, goes against sort of the fact that when they've looked at placentas of women who had had COVID through pregnancy, there doesn't seem to be any difference in, in those placentas histologically, um, which, you know, we placenta, it's, it's a highly complex organ. And the fact that we don't see histologic abnormalities does not mean that there's no functional abnormalities. Um, and uh, we believe that, you know, based on, on reported cases, that there's still the possibility of functional abnormalities, which will put the, the, women and the fetus at risk for bad outcomes. And thus, we do all of this that I just spoke about. I wanted to ask also about what we know about fetal outcomes and um, how COVID affects babies. Can you tell me a little bit more about what placental insufficiency means um, for, a, for a fetus? So when we... When we talk or refer to placental insufficiency, we the placenta is the organ that uh, ultimately supports the pregnancy. It's that huge interface in between the, the mother and the fetus. And we relied 100% on the placenta to assure oxygenation, volume, nutrition, and everything that goes into the fetus. So when we talk about insufficiency, we talk about signs that we see in the fetus that leads us to believe that the perfusion of the placenta is less than expected or less than uh, what would be needed. So we know a lot about, about placental insufficiency in cases of growth restriction. Um, and so um, it's within that realm of, of you know, concerns that we're looking at this uh, uh, particular subset of women. Do we know anything about 
vertical transmission. And so by vertical transmission, I mean a disease passing from the mother to the fetus through, I think, through placenta. Is that correct? Correct. So this is one of those areas that we've learned the most, um, although we still have yet a lot to learn. But uh, the the thought at the beginning of the uh Pandemia was that a uh, pandemic was that uh, there was no transmission based on looking at the majority of of babies born from women that had COVID at the time of pregnancy, mostly in China. Um, but we've learned through, you know, a uh, few cases where the baby has been positive. Um, some of those cases were. Uh, directly because of contact with the mother um, right after delivery. But there are, there appears to be at least a couple, if not probably a handful of cases where women had had cesarean sections. And as best the medical team can tell, there has not been any opportunity for the baby to be in contact with the mother. And yet the baby had had uh, tested positive. Um, so I think the the what we believe or what data shows or appears to be uh, to make most sense is that um, it is not zero, but it is very very rare, and uh, the babies who had had uh, who had tested positive had done well for the most part, and thus. The recommendation um, at the beginning of potentially separate mom and babies, and nowadays we don't anymore. We have strict precautions, like if the mom had influenza, for example, but um, we don't uh, automatically recommend separating the the mother and the baby. Um, again, we we have yet to know more. Um, and so, uh, but uh, overall, epidem- epidemiologically, it appears that the trans, the, the if there is any vertical transmission, it's really, really, really low. If a mom does have COVID and and um, gives birth, then what are the sort of the precautions like for for her to interact with her baby? And um, I'm curious, can COVID positive moms still breastfeed? So uh, I would take a step back and say all pregnant women should do, you know, the following, just like everybody else, but more so if if you're a pregnant woman. So social distancing, washing your hands, wearing your mask. And most importantly, what we know now is that most transmissions occur at home and occur at home for immediate family. So the data, again, continues to show that Women are pretty good at social distancing outside of the home and washing their hands and wearing a mask. But when it comes to home, as we all you know, have experienced, it's really hard to do this, especially with immediate families. So people that do not live at home, we're not, I'm not advocating that women wear, you know, masks within their immediate family, meaning, you know, their kids and their partners. Um, but, you know, uh, I'm talking about grandparents and people who are part of that 
sort of nuclei of immediate family that we interact with. Um, and so postpartum is the same thing. So postpartum, if a, if a woman is uh, negative, then, you know, you sh- she should have regular precautions, but, you know, as normal, if a woman is positive, then we want to make sure that anytime that she interacts with a baby, she's wearing a mask, she is washing her hands, she's having all extreme precautions to not pass it into the baby because we also know that masks are pretty effective and washing hands are pretty effective. So um, most babies whose moms are COVID positive, if they are really strict about these measures, would do fine. And that is reassuring and great and that it's not only true for the mom. We assume that if the mom is positive, um, more people at the household are going to be positive at different times. So they can test negative today and be positive next week. And so that newborn continues to be at risk. Breastfeeding wise, they can breastfeed and we would recommend that they breastfeed. Again, we, um, it's sort of like the vertical transmission. It appears that it doesn't, uh, show up on breast milk, at least in a quantity that will infect the fetus. Um, there's some, um, more recent experiments where they have inoculated virus in breast milk and they have um, posterized that milk and that takes care of um, the virus just by putting it at 63 degrees um, Celsius. Um, but the, the vertical, trans- I mean, the, the, the transmission through uh, breast milk does not appear to be there or to be a concern. I think the big COVID news in the last couple of weeks as I mentioned it's late December of 2020, is that there have been a couple vaccines approved for emergency use, which um, feels kind of exciting. Uh, And I'm curious, based on our U.S. Food and Drug Administration recommendations for approving these vaccines and then professional society recommendations um, like the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine or our American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, are pregnant people eligible to get the vaccine? So pregnant women were not part of the uh, original trials. Um, And so we don't know experimentally anything about pregnancy because they were not part. Based theoretically on how the vaccine uh, interacts with the immune system, and most importantly, that it's not a live viruses. We're very concerned when we give live viruses to pregnant women or people who are immunosuppressed, but these vaccines are not live viruses. They are parts of the virus that stimulate your immune system to recognize these virus and produce um, immunoglobulin. So um, based on that, that should be safe in pregnancy from one part. The second part is based on how severe pregnant women can disease can get, it will make sense that if the vaccine, even though it was not trial on pregnant women, based on, on how it interacts with the immune system appears to be safe, and we have a disease that appears to be very severe, then the recommendation would be that after counseling, and counseling meaning this that we're talking about, uh, pregnant women, if desire, will be able to have uh, the vaccine. So our recommendations uh, are in line with supporting the vaccination of pregnant women 
along with uh, ACOG and um, the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine. The same is true for women who are planning pregnancy and uh, for uh, women who are postpartum or breastfeeding. It should be uh, appropriate for them after counseling to receive the, pre- the uh, vaccine if they desire so. Do you know if there are any plans to study how, um, how the vaccine works in pregnant people? So the answer is one would hope that the um, makers of the vaccines will include pregnant women now that it appears to be safe for non-pregnant people. But the truth of the matter is that we may have enough data before that happens if enough pregnant women take it, because that will be the trial (laughs) as they, you know, are not formally enrolled in a trial, but they are taking it. And um, the CDC has encouraged uh, all organizations providing the vaccine to uh, pregnant women to uh, keep track of those women, particularly for this, to know what their outcomes are and what their um, baby's outcomes are. The vaccine is becoming increasingly more available, and it will be a few months before it's sort of available to everyone who is interested in having it. So there's still a f- several more months of being cautious and thoughtful and um, careful about all of our COVID risk. If people are considering a pregnancy right now, are there any special considerations that they need to think about? Is this an okay time to decide to have a baby? So that's obviously a very personal decision. And based on each individual's circumstances, I think it is uh, reasonable to say that we're at a time where through all the history of this pandemic, there appears to be something that could actually alter the risk uh, for pregnant women, and that is a vaccine. So in the ideal world, it would be best if all pregnant women have been vaccinated. Having said that, we've also shown again that with you know, social distancing and, and those measures, it could be safe and we would not discourage people from, uh, we have not discouraged people from getting pregnant through the pandemic with or without vaccine, mostly because we didn't know how long we were going to be dealing with this. And so it, we have to find other ways to assure that women can safely have babies, which it's, you know, what we ultimately, you know, are here for. So I think, you know, to summarize, it's really based on risk assessment for that women or that couple. And, you know, I think it would be reasonable to try. It would be reasonable also to wait and then be um, vaccinated. Or it would be reasonable to try it and then be vaccinated while you're pregnant. Information has definitely changed a lot over the last several months. And I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for good places that people can look to kind of stay up to date with um, vaccine data or COVID and pregnancy safety tips um, somewhere that we can kind of keep on top of the best resources. So information has been very challenging because we have several, you know, organizations like CDC. Um, and many others that many times have conflicting information, and that is 
inherited to any process where we're just learning data and everybody is trying to do their best and trying to be cautious and, and put out the, the, the information that is most uh, relevant. Uh, but we unfortunately run into the risk of having inconsistent data. I think we, we typically guide our principles based on uh, organizations like American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, which their main role is to advocate for pregnant women. And they have been excellent and supported by the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, which is the same type of organization, but historically more so for pregnancy than for um, women's health in general. Uh, but both of them have decided a while back to work together and put recommendations and, and uh, things in this realm together, which it's tremendously helpful because then we have two big heads thinking together and putting information together through one channel, which help us tremendously. And the information that they put out will include recommendations from CDC and recommendations from other data that they have carefully looked at and sort of uh, disseminated out. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Igor. Great. As we head into a new year and a new season of the podcast, let us know what women's health and healthcare issues you'd like to learn about. My email will be in the show notes, and I would love to hear from you. The Women's HealthCast is a production of the UW-Madison Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's HealthCast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us in your podcast app and let us know what healthcare topics you'd like to learn about. Thanks for listening and Happy New Year!